Hey, welcome to episode number 66 of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I talk with Michelle and she shares her story of grief and widowhood. But before I dive into her story, I want to make sure you're in the know because some of you are not in the know. You are out of the loop of what is going on over in the Brave Widow community. And I feel like you're missing out and you don't need to miss out. There's no reason for that. So we've had several live events happening this week at the time that this podcast is airing and you need to be in the know of when these are happening because even if you can't attend them live, real time, in person slash on camera, then you can always watch the replay and you can get all sorts of information and connection with widows that otherwise you wouldn't. For example, November 28th, Tuesday evening, we had Elaine Roth who attended a live Q&A session. Elaine is a young widow and newly published author. And if you're watching on video, I am now holding up her book, her novel, The Midnight Garden by Elaine Roth. We had her on the Brave Widow show. November 28th, 2022. And a year later, we did not plan that date, by the way, but it was awesome how it worked out. She came and hosted an open Q&A session and she answered all questions that you submitted or that you asked about what it's like being a young widow and an author and what it took for her to get her first book published. And she talks about the hundreds of queries that see that she submitted to agents and all the rejections that she got and how she just kept going. She kept moving forward. She did not give up on her dreams. She's incredibly resilient and she has a beautiful story to share with you. So if you did not attend the Q&A and you did not sign up to get a link to the replay, you are really missing out. The members of the Brave Widow community, that live event is uploaded, so you can listen to that. We also, Thursday, November 30th, hosted two workshops, one of which was completely brand new, and I'm so excited with how it turned out. The first one is how to actually help a widow, and we helped explain what widows go through the best way we can for someone who's never been widowed. We talked about why it's hard for widows to accept help, to ask for help. I shared an entire list of things that people can do to ask for help. So if you need ideas on asking for help, or if you want to help and you're not sure how, we covered that and so much more. It was so good. And I'm not saying it because it was me, but so much energy and effort and love went into sharing that information and the interaction and the chat and the Q&A was so, so good. So right after that, we did the Getting Unstuck from Grief workshop. And I also love the interaction there. We talked about why it feels like we get stuck in grief. It talks about ways to identify if you are stuck in grief, if you're not able to move forward, if you can't see the path forward. And we talked about different areas that you could evaluate to identify whether or not you truly are stuck, what that means, and how you can identify one to two things that you could work on 
steps that you could take to actually start moving forward again. So if you're not aware of these live events when they come up, if you're not hearing about them, if you're not seeing them, then you need to be on the email list. And the way to get on there is to go to bravewidow.com slash free, F-R-E-E. That's where I share updates on the live events. You are going to be amongst the first to know. We are going to start in January. You ready for the spoiler alert? We're going to start in January, a series on dating post loss. And even if you don't feel like you're ready or you're not sure if you're ready and you're just a little bit curious, you should definitely still join us for that because I get a ton of requests for that. That's going to be, that's going to be really good. Cause let me tell you, I have made many mistakes through dating post loss. I have talked to hundreds of widows who have made also mistakes. So guess what? You're going to get to learn from our mistakes for free. And I'm going to hand walk you through creating a profile, what you should put on there. Should you tell people you're widowed? When should you tell people you're widowed? Should you keep wearing your rings or not? What kind of picture should you have on your profile? When should you introduce people to your children? Listen, all the good stuff, all the good stuff, all the questions you have, about dating. And even if you're like I was in the beginning, I'd never been on a dating app before. I was just really curious to know what kind of people are out there and if there was still hope for me. And so, yeah, it's going to be really good. And the only way you can know about that is being part of the Brave Widow membership community, which we would love to have you in. It's an awesome community and being part of the email list, which you can join at bravewidow.com slash free. All right, let's dive into Michelle's story. Welcome to the Brave Widow podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. of the Brave Widow Show. I have a special guest here with me today, Michelle Kleintob, and I'm excited for you to hear her story, her insights, and uh, things that she has to share with you. So Michelle, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. As you said, my name is Michelle. I'm 37. I live in New Jersey. I have two kids, ages 8 and 16. I'm a registered nurse, and I currently work in the hospice field, which is not ideal, but I'll get into that when we kind of tell my story. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I think we can start your story, you know, wherever you would like to start. Sure. I'll start with how we met. Um, So I met my husband, Walter, through work. I was working as a bartender in Atlantic City, and he was a busboy. It was a second job for him. He is well, was a boiler engineer through the union down here. And I was bartending my way through nursing school. So I had already had my son. He is from my first marriage. So we met working together and we became friends first. He was actually dating someone when we first met. Then he broke up with that person and we kind of started seeing each other. And it was like instantly we were 
in love. He describes it as, so we went on a date, our first, our first date, everything was good. We had a blast. Our second date, he took me to a karaoke bar and I had, he went outside to smoke a cigarette and I signed him up to sing the song Womanizer by Britney Spears. And so when he came back in, they called nice. him up for it. And he said he fell in love with me that moment. Like he knew I was it. <laughs> that was it. He was like, yep, this is the one. He's like, so- the fact that she has no problems messing with me. And <laughs> I love that. And so what about what about him caught your eye? What what did you like about him? Um, he's very intelligent. He was funny. And then like when we did start dating, I was very adamant about you know, if this was going anywhere that he had to be accepting of my son and my son had to accept him, like it's, it is going to be beyond casual. They had to meet and get along. And like, he instantly took to my son. And from that moment on, that was like, when we married, that was his son. It wasn't ever his stepson. He never described him that way. Like that was his kid too. So just the fact that he could so accommodating to like and we were in I was 20 he's three years younger than me so I was 27 when I met him and he was 24 so being 24 taking on a six-year-old's a lot and he had no problems doing that oh well that's awesome he sounds was, like a very fun wonderful person yeah we had a blast our relationship was a whirlwind we got engaged we started officially dating in october of 2013 we were engaged by january 2014 i did get pregnant shortly after we got engaged unfortunately we miscarried and then we he bought a house and we moved in all together me and my son and him and i did get pregnant again that pregnancy stuck and became my daughter but we got married right away after I found out I was pregnant in August because I didn't have health insurance and he had amazing health insurance through the union. So we got married, okay, we got married in a beach in Brigantine. We eloped. Um, and the only witnesses were the person that um, did the marriage and my brother-in-law and his girlfriend, who is now his wife, at, but his, is now his wife, but was his girlfriend at the time. And that was August 27, 2014. Okay. And then, yeah, we were together ever since all right and what was it like just having life together and raising children together I mean I'm not gonna say everything was perfect because it wasn't I mean with two people you're gonna fight I mean that's just normal he had some mental health issues that he wasn't getting treated so I did help him with that he had a lot of childhood trauma but we work through that together but like on a normal day-to-day basis things were fun he was always he could always make me laugh it didn't matter and and we just always had like little inside things that we did together like I was telling my brother-in-law just recently like I miss we (laughs) both of us hated laundry so we would wash it and dry it but like folding it was neither of us like doing it so I was like I walked in the laundry room the other day and I was like ugh, mount laundry because that's what both him and I would call it I was like, I miss having that with him. Because like, if I tell somebody else that, they're like, what? <laughs> it means nothing. But we always had like little inside jokes. We worked opposite shifts. Um, so I worked days and he worked three to 11. But we always meet. He was off Wednesdays and Thursdays and I was off on the weekends. But we always made time for each other. Every Wednesday night, we had a date night. Whether it be at home when the kids would kids so we could do something. And then I made sure to stay up Friday and Saturday nights so we can spend time together. So, like, we made it work. 
that sounds lovely. With, you know, the cards we were, yeah. And he was a great dad. He, like I said, with my son, he stepped up and to the plate and that was his son, was never a stepson. And my daughter, he loved her to death. That was the apple of his eye. Did everything, anything he could for her. Wanted to teach her everything that he knew. He was teaching her how to cook and they went on bike rides all, all the time together. He was taking her to all the um, playgrounds in the air, um, state of New Jersey. Like, so he was always doing things with her. With my son, they watched it. Both of them are huge football fans. So, but uh, different teams and they would, um, you know, tease each other. They would take them to games and stuff. They like different football games, and baseball games. So they were always, you know, still doing stuff together. Okay. And then uh, how long were you guys married? Nine years. Together for 10, married for nine. Okay. And do you mind to share how you lost him? Yeah. So that is, um, it's a weird story. Um, so he, I'm actually, hold on. So he went to work. It was April 24th. He, I was home that day. I was sick. Um, so I saw him in the morning and in the afternoon before I left, I got the kids for school and he hadn't left school, but I did see him. Um, I went to take a violin and I said, I won't, I don't want to kiss you because I'm sick. And he said, no, come here. And he's like, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick anyway. We sleep together. So <laughs> I kissed him goodbye. I last went and picked up the kids. Um, I went to the doctor. It turned out I had strep throat. We talked a couple times throughout the night. Last time we talked was probably like seven, probably like 830. We talked on the phone. The kids were fighting. I remember they were fighting and bickering back and forth. And I was telling them to knock it off. And he was like, you sound busy. You should go. Okay. So he said to not worry about it. Go to sleep. Um, he knew I wasn't feeling. He said, I know you're not feeling well. I'll just get some rest. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I love you. So I said, I love you and hung up. Um, and then I went to bed. I went to bed early. I was sick. Um, I woke up the next morning uh, keep in mind, the next day he was supposed to work a double. So he was supposed to work 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. the next day. So by the time I got up in the morning at 6.30, he would have already been gone. Um, so I woke up. I went downstairs. And it looked like he hadn't come home. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. It just looked like he hadn't come home. Like, he wouldn't have come upstairs. I know he wouldn't have come upstairs because he wouldn't have wanted to wake me up. So we would have ended up sleeping on the couch. But it looked like he didn't come home. So I called my brother-in-law. And I was like, hey, have you heard from Walt? And he said, no. But I, he said the same thing. I know he had to work a double. Maybe he just came in and crashed on the couch. And I was like, okay, maybe. So I tried calling him, my husband, multiple times, nothing. The last text message I sent to him was, hey, can you text me so I know you're alive? I took my kids to school. I got home. It's probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock now. And I got a call from his job saying there was an accident and they were sending him to the hospital. So I asked, like, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? They wouldn't tell me anything. I drove to the hospital. I got stuck in a tiny room, which is never good, in case you're wondering. And they told me he had passed away. I lost my language, crying, sobbing, screaming. The ner the doctor kept trying to tell me, like, logistics. And I remember, like, because I work in healthcare, I remember, like, looking at her and telling her, please stop. Like, I, I don't want to know right now. Like, I'm just still trying to process that my husband's dead. And she still kept trying. And I, I looked at her square in the eyes and I screamed, again, part of my language because she just wouldn't stop. So she got up and left. 
Um, that day is a whirlwind. I don't remember a lot of it. My mom showed up to be there with me. Um, they made me ID him, which was the stupidest thing I've ever had to do because he would, had his license. He had his driver's license in his pocket and he had was wearing a shirt that had his name on it. So like, I mean, he was who he was. This is the part where it gets worse is um, he had been dead a long time. By the time I saw him, he was fully rigor mortis. His arm was stuck over, over his head. He was cold. It turns out, like, again, the more and more I find out, the worse and worse it is. They initially told me he clocked out and was found in, like, the office. But as it did turn out, he never clocked out. So he never clocked out. He never turned in his keys. And he never turned in his radio. So it should have triggered somebody to look for him. But it didn't. The last time he was seen... So there's cameras in the building he worked in, but there wasn't cameras in the room where he passed away. Um, but last time he's seen on cameras at 9.36 p.m. going into that room, he's never picked up on the next camera. So again, that should have triggered somebody. Um, I also found out, like, because I get people from that he worked with well, are talking to me and like, I have a lawyer and stuff. Like, it's a very big to do. He was found in the doorway. His feet were in the doorway. And he was lying on the ground and he had a headlamp on because the room, the lights were off. So the light was on. So had they been doing their rounds, which they're supposed to do hourly rounds, they would have found him, but they didn't. So to me, they weren't doing their job. So, so we don't know. The, we don't know the cause of death. They did a preliminary autopsy, which didn't show anything. And we're waiting on the toxicology report. Um, I do know that that night there was issues with the boiler. So if I had to take a stab in the dark, I would say that the boiler released carbon monoxide in his face. And that's what ended up killing him. I would so, be, you wouldn't find that on him. And has that, and, has that, I'm sure, played a role in your grief of just wanting to know what happened and why. And I'm sure having to deal with just the events of the situation has, has made it even more challenging. Yeah. Well, um, so he's only 33. So, and like the whole, it, it, it was just a nightmare. It's still a nightmare because the police are involved so i like still don't have some of his personal effects because they won't release them to me until there's a cause of death police were very accusational when they brought me in for questioning about why i didn't notice he wasn't home and like when i talked to like my brother-in-law and i are very close and when i talked to him it was like he's like even if you did notice that he didn't come home i would have he would have already been dead by that point because he wouldn't have come home till 1230. And if the last time you've seen on camera was 936, like he got right around probably when he died, if he was in the doorway still. So they were very accusational about that. Then they were, um, they were caught up on this whole Red Bull thing that, you know, they found Red Bull cans in his car and that must've contributed. He didn't drink Red Bull. The Red Bull cans were my son's. So <laughs> wasn't even anything to do with that. So it's just been, there's no closure. So have you had a good, I mean, it sounds like your brother-in-law and you are very close. Have you had yeah. other family or friends kind of come around to you and support you and your kids through um, this? Or? When it first happened, I mean, my parents have been great too. They've been instrumental in helping me get through this. I moved in with them temporarily right after he died because I just couldn't go home. Like being in the house was just like a constant smack in the face that he was gone. So I did move in with them temporarily with my kids. My brother-in-law doesn't live in New Jersey, but him and his wife are very much supportive and involved. And then I have a couple of friends that are for me that reach out and check on me all the time and make sure that I'm okay. Because like, right to, um, I went to a dark place. So they've been instrumental in keeping me in check, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, that's completely understandable, even 
without all of those other odd circumstances, right? Just the fact that you lost your person, your spouse, that can take you to a very dark place. And then you've got kids and I'm sure you're trying to manage their emotions mm-hmm. and their grieving process and balancing that with yours. Uh, what, what advice would you give yeah. somebody that they're like in the thick of it? Like it's just happened. They're trying to manage it all. What advice would you give somebody in that situation? Um, so as I was saying, be open and honest how you're feeling. I never knew I was sad. That wasn't a question, but like I kind of held some of it back. And I mean, I did end up, I had uh, shoes in my face when stopped licking me, but tell somebody if you're there, don't let it get to that point. And then as far as with kids go, and like, I've been doing this because I have a friend who lost her um, parents too. She lost her mom at 12 and then her dad in her twenties, but be open with your kids. You know, you could tell them that this sucks. You're hurting, you know, mom's not doing great today because I don't, and how I view it is I don't want my kids to think that I don't love them and I'm not there for them when I'm not necessarily on, so to speak. Um, I still, they're always on my mind, but some days are just not good days for mom. And like, I just try and be open with them about it. Like today's just not a good day for me. I'm I'm still going to be there for you and I'll still do what I can, but maybe I, I like, for example, with my do- my daughter, like, I'm not going to get down and play dolls today. Like, cause I'm just not feeling it. Like, but if I tell her that and like, she knows that it, she responds better than me just saying no, or curling up and ignoring her and reading a book or on my phone. Like, so she knows that I'm still there and then lean on people. Cause there's going to be people that are going to ask you what they can, what they can do for you. And just tell, honestly, tell them what you need. I need a night off from the kids. I need to go out and get a drink. I need to, I need help with the laundry because you'd be surprised how much people want to help, but they don't know what to do. Cause a lot of people yeah. just make food because that's what they think is what you need. And I mean, I had so much food that like, I didn't really need food anymore. <laughs> I needed help with other stuff. So I was honest with like people I was close with. Like I could really just use a night off tonight. If you could just come watch the kids, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. I, that's excellent advice. You know, I think, I don't know why necessarily as widows and probably being that caretaker role, we just tend to think we're supposed to take care of everyone else and we don't want help or need help or, but you know, help isn't always going to be around. So I definitely encourage people to take advantage of it as much as possible. Um, yeah. Cause it does die down. Yeah. About three months is where I noticed that it started to dwindle away. Yeah. Like the people I was closest with stuck around, but like the other people started to, you know, they go back to their lives. They do. And, you know, they forget or, you know, mm-hmm. just become focused on, on other things. And so, mm-hmm. and it's not that um, they're being, you know, they're not trying to be mean. It's just, you know, their lives are still moving forward, whether ours are or not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, any other thoughts or imparting words of wisdom that you would share with the folks that have heard your story today? I, I, you know what I heard? I heard my therapist gave me like a good piece of advice and I think it's good for everyone to kind of hear. So your grief is never going to get smaller. It's never going to get quote unquote better, but you're going to grow around your grief. You're going to change you're not going to be who you were before they died. And that's okay. Um, but you're going to get bigger than your grief. Yeah, that's very true. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, it was a pleasure hosting you and appreciate you just being so open and sharing your journey with us. Thank you for having me. 
Hey, hey, before you guys go, I just wanted to uh, give you a quick reminder. Michelle brought up um, asking for help, brought up saying specifically what you need help with. And if you're struggling, if you're listening to this right now and you're widowed and you're thinking, I don't even know what to ask for help for. My mind is blank. I'm not thinking clearly. Well, I have a free checklist that you can download and you can send. You can send to people who want to help. You can check off things that you want help with if you need ideas. Um, or if you you know someone who was widowed or who has had a loss in the family and you're trying to think of ideas and ways to help them, then this checklist will be a comprehensive list of things that you can do for other people who are grieving. So the way that you can get that is to go to bravewidow.com slash free, F-R-E-E, and you will find that full checklist, um, chock full, uh, I think it's like four pages long of ideas of things that you can do to help a widow or things that you as a widow may, may need help with. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow Podcast. I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.